Hi, everybody. I'm Jared, the host of Rule Your Pool podcast. I'm happy to be here, happy to uh, hopefully instill some knowledge today. And I want to welcome my co-host, Eric Knight, uh, to the uh, channel today. Eric, nice to have you back. Uh, it's been a while. Um, I mean, what can I say? Wow. Well, you know, Jared, that was pretty good. Thanks. I'm, I've been... I've been missing this so much. I felt like I needed to, you know, get in the saddle and uh, kind of just uh, I'm, dust it off. What can I I'm say? happy. I'm happy about it. I thought you did great. The fans have just been beating down our doors asking for Jared back. And by fans, I mean the voices in my head. But no, no, I'm in all seriousness, we're really glad to have you back. Oh, thanks. I was going to say fans, or are you tired of hosting a podcast by yourself and you just really wanted someone to talk to? It, it, in fairness, it's not the easiest thing in the world to explain to people that I talk to myself in the closet. Okay. <laughs> oh, true. So I'm actually trying to broadcast this message out. So it's, it, it is nice to actually talk to somebody. So it's, it is good to have you back. This is episode 55, I think. Yeah. This is episode 55 of the Rule Your Pool podcast. And what are we talking about today, Jared? We're going to talk about standard operating procedures, how to improve business, um, you know, management and just creating a template to basically work from, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I, if I could summarize it, we're going to talk about a baseline. We are going to talk about how to standardize your operating procedures for a business so that you can be more effective at delivering quality water to your customers. And yes, if you're a homeowner listening to this, feel free to listen in. There's no hidden information here, but this is really more for the trade. This is aiming more for service companies with dozens, if not hundreds of pools on route, uh, trying to establish a baseline of chemistry. And we're going to talk about the benefits of that and the risks of not doing that. So without further ado, Jared, if you want to kick us into the intro since you started this whole mess, take it away. Yes, I would say welcome to the Rule Your Pool podcast and let's get this show started. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Rule Your Pool the podcast by Arenda that explains and simplifies pool chemistry so that anybody, regardless of experience, can understand it. I'm your host, Eric Knight, bringing clarity to these subjects so that you can bring clarity to your water. If you're ready to rule your pool, then let's go. You know, I'm a little disoriented here, Jared, because normally I'm the one who opens it up and, and puts it into the intro, but I'll, I guess I'll pick it up after the intro. What is a standard operating procedure? Let's start there. Well, you just said it. It's a standard operating procedure. That, define it. Oh, uh, so basically it's a, it's a rule book is what I would call it. Um, trying to get people to understand that this is my playbook for how we need to address certain situations. Some of them may be problems. Some of them may be benefits that we notice, but we have to have you know a set of you know, procedures in place to follow so that everything can be standardized. That's, that's the gist of standard operating procedure, right? You don't want, you know, guy number five over here doing his own thing and we know nothing about it. Um, you know, I'm looking at this through the lens of operating a pool maintenance company. And obviously there's different ways and different companies that can take this for what it's worth. But our background, my background specifically, pool maintenance, pool repair, is we have to have these standards in place so that we can better identify things going on in the business, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the arguments that I hear back is every pool is different, right? Oh, every client's different. Everybody's got different landscaping and all that stuff. We know. We're not saying that there's no room for adaptation here, but we do want to standardize as much as possible so that you can actually learn from it. And there's a bunch of reasons why standardizing, we believe, is the right thing to do. Uh, in my travels in the last several months, we've been talking to a lot of companies and we realize a lot of their struggles have to do with a lack of standard operating procedures. Well, what and, caught me by surprise, yeah, and I know we talked about this before this episode and before the blog and all those things that are, are the result of this, but the question was simple. We kept having customers come to us and say, I'm committing to Arenda, right? And these aren't, you know, the biggest companies in the world, and we're not necessarily looking for the biggest companies. We're looking for the companies that want to do things the right way and take the time to learn and be proactive. And that's 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 our message, right? Well, these companies, they we sit down and ask them why? Why are you changing? Why are you changing your procedures? Why are you committing right. so heavily? Because quite honestly, guys, we appreciate you know 
people buying our products, but that's just a piece of why we do what we do. And really it comes down to, to helping them. Um, and the, the answer shocked me, not really shocked, but it was like kind of a head scratcher. And Eric, you, you talked to two, three companies recently about making this switch and it was significant. I mean, it came back to, it makes it easier, which is not something that I really thought about or considered. Well, no, specifically what shocked us was not that it makes pool routes easier. We already knew that. It's that it reduces employee turnover. It gives employees who are new to the trade early wins. And I started dissecting that on the flight home and, and talking with you and talking with Harold and other customers. And we started realizing some common threads here that we've, we've been enjoying them, like the benefits of it for years. We just never really articulated it. And that's what we want to do in this episode. Yep. Standardizing your operating procedure allows for a lot of learning and increased profitability without raising prices. So it's more efficiency. It's operational uh, flow, so to speak. Now, Jared, you're an operations guy. I am not an operations guy. So it makes sense as a business manager, so to speak, if you know things that can be standardized are being done correctly, any deviation from that standard is going to stand out to a guy like you, right? Absolutely. It's going to be an anomaly that needs to be addressed. Right. That's where we want to start. So we in this industry have been trained to be reactive for so long. We react when we see algae. We react when we see scale. We react when there's a problem, right? But we want to be proactive. Arenda's program is proactive because you know those issues can come back. But we've boiled down those issues to four common denominators. We call those four our four pillars. If you've taken Arenda Academy, the second academy program is called Four Pillars. The first pillar is LSI balance. The second is non-living organic waste removal, basically. The third is phosphate removal. And the fourth is minimal cyanuric acid. We're not going to go too deep into that today because we have full episodes on that. If you go back in the Rule Your Pool podcast to the first, I want to say the first dozen or so episodes, we really cover the four pillars. But what it comes down to is a decision. So Jared, I want to go into the root of the word decide. Okay. Where do you think the word decide comes from? It was a leading question, your honor. Um, I've already read the blog, so, but yeah, but the blog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah. Well, the, okay. Smarty pants for the audience, since you're so smart, where does the, <laughs> I can't believe you. All right. This is great. Uh, all right. Smarty pants. Where does the word decide come from? Well, Eric, clearly the word decide comes from, as I scroll up, uh, Latin. I mean, obviously. Yeah, I, I got to say, we are the, this is a very professional podcast. <laughs> we are, we are, we demand to be taken seriously. We're very prepared for this. Well, I, in all seriousness, though, we are prepared because we talk about this all, every day, right? But we don't look at the etymology of words every day. We're not English majors, right? Yeah. So let's make, yes, let's now make that you've scrolled up short and sweet decide, but it's important. Decide. It is. Where's it, it from? Is. It... Would you like me to read or would you like to run with it? No, I, I think I can handle this. Okay. Go for it. You ruined, you've ruined Christmas. Okay. The word decide comes from Latin and the prefix D means off or from kind of like originating from or breaking off of. And the the suffix side, C-I-D-E, it should sound familiar. Pesticide, homicide, genocide, suicide. It means to kill. So when you make a decision, you decide. You actually kill off the other options and you commit to one. A decision, a true decision is not, hey, I've got these six options. I'm going to pick one of them, but I'm going to keep the other options open in case that one doesn't work out. That's not a decision. A decision is a commitment. And I, I kind of look at pool care the same way. When you implement a standard operating procedure for your program, for your company, a program of, of sorts, if you implement the Arenda program especially, what you're really doing is deciding what you want to deal with and what you don't. You decide in the Arenda program to remove phosphates, to remove non-living organics, to address metals and minerals, to inhibit scale and stains. 
you decide to, ba to balance the LSI. You decide to keep your cyanuric acid to a minimum so that you don't have to deal with overstabilization and its many consequences. And not to be confused that all these pools don't have all of these problems. They can have two or three or one of these problems. Or none. But exactly. But we are being proactive and deciding to look at it as a total and manage it accordingly, right? Look, I, if I'm a homeowner, my HVAC system is not going to break down every single month or every single year. But I decide to get it maintained in the spring to get ready for the summer and clean it up anyway. Make sure it is operating just fine. I decide to get maintenance done on my truck. It doesn't mean that it won't run when the oil needs to be changed. It will for a while, but the damage is long-term. So you want to take that off the table. If I know that I need to change my oil, I'm going to do that so that if my truck's going to break down, it ain't going to be because of the oil. I took that out of the equation. I took care of it. We want to get ahead of pool problems because we know at Arenda, and you know from listening to our podcast, that the vast majority of issues are totally preventable. And the one-offs, you can really learn from. So if you take out, I don't know what percent, let us I'm going to say it's over 90%, but who knows, you can't really quantify it, the vast majority of problems, if you take those off the table by addressing the four pillars, when you do have an issue, if you do, it's going to be a one-off, call us. We'd like to learn from it too. It's going to be some anomaly that is going to be unique to that one pool. It's not going to happen across the board, and it's not going to keep happening because you're going to learn from it. If you don't have a baseline, though, if you don't have standards across your company, how in the world are you going to identify what happened? You never had something to compare it to. That's really the crux of this episode. We want to make the case to you that if you have a service business and you don't have baseline water chemistry at a minimum, you are not going to notice when problems arise and you're not going to catch them soon enough to stop them before they become major issues like a full-blown algae outbreak or scale all over the place. And, th and by the way, those aren't even major issues. Those are annoying issues. A major issue would be destroying a plaster surface or fading a vinyl liner that requires a replacement. We see that all the time. I mean, Jared, how many times have we seen customers call us that they have copper standing all over their pool because they completely rotted out the heater? They didn't know they weren't supposed to slug acid in a column and that acid went through the main drain, and it rotted out the copper in the heater. Now they have stains everywhere, and they think it's a copper problem. It technically is a copper problem, but it's a procedural problem, and it can be caused by other chemicals and just other things that are introduced to the water for sure. Uh, but yes, I mean, mm -hmm. there's problems that we address that bad habits, bad practices cause them all the time, majority of the time, honestly. Right. Well, we have a program. We did six episodes on it, or actually, I think we divided it into two episodes, three each, our top six bad habits, all right? And they're they're totally preventable, they, and they don't even really cost anything to change. You just got to be aware of them. And the number one problem on that was acid abuse. Another one was chasing pH, uh, forgetting water temperature and the LSI, not measuring your pool volume, not measuring chemicals. And I don't remember the sixth one off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, read it. We have we have the podcast. Yeah, trust me on this. When you create as much content as we do at Arenda, you kind of forget certain things. Uh, the point is, avoiding those six bad habits, that should absolutely be part of your standard operating procedure. And that has nothing to do with Arenda, by the way. That has everything to do with if you want your business to succeed, knock out those habits because they just soak up profitability and stress and callbacks and all sorts of issues. And they're totally preventable. Oh, yeah. Neglecting test kits. That was the sixth. So let's talk about a baseline. Jared, um, if you just want to scroll again so that you can be oh, smarty yes. pants, yes. what do we mean when we say a baseline? Um, like I said, it's getting all of your readings, all of your chemical usage rates, all of the pertinent information by the pool or by the technician or by, you know, however you break up your business and want to manage it, right? Um, you mm -hmm. have to have a ground floor to build from right so mm -hmm. how much is you know how many pools does this technician treat how many how many gallons or what's the volume of water he's treating what is his average creating an average right of chemical usage by 
the month, by the um, time of year, because obviously this fluctuates, so that you can get good information to work from. Because a lot of times in the maintenance business, there's things that happen, like leaks specifically, uh, that you don't see necessarily. But when you start noticing dramatic increases in chemical usage, that's going to throw up a red flag. And because some people do it differently. Um, a lot of companies charge by, they do a flat visit plus chems. Some companies do just a flat rate that includes chems. Well, if you're including chemicals in your monthly flat rate and you start using 30% more chemicals, you should definitely be paying attention. Well, not that you shouldn't be paying attention if you're adding chemicals on top, but it's just an anomaly you need to be aware of that's a fiduciary responsibility for your customer and for your business, right? Right. Well, I, I think of it, it's, it, it's not even using dramatically more chemicals on, on a pool. Let's say you have a company with multiple employees, two, five, 25, doesn't matter, just more than you. Okay, so for one polars, you should do this too. You should standardize things so that you can notice changes in your business as well. But for multiple people, what we see in the country, and Jared, I think you can agree with this, most service companies that we deal with, they have a bunch of varying levels of experience in their staff. They've got some guys who've been doing this over 10 years or sometimes over 20 years, and you have other guys who are brand new. And they all kind of get trained based on previous people's habits, and they all kind of do their own thing. How many times have you talked to a company where they're like, well, uh, well, most of us will do this, but you know, Scott over here, he's been doing this for 30 years. He's old school. I hear that phrase all the time. Oh, that's not going to work. Scott's old school. He's old school. Oh, okay. As if that's better. All right. It's not just fun fact. It's not great to be old school. I don't view that as a compliment. I view that as someone who's unwilling to adapt and learn. Um, I like talking to old school people because sometimes you can have a breakthrough and make them think twice about something. And they're like, oh, all I have to do is make this little change and things will click. That's always kind of exciting. But if you have people doing their own thing, think of the incentive of that person, right? If I'm an employee in a service company and I've got a problem pool, let's pick a problem, Jared, scale, algae, what, what am I facing in one of my pools? Biggest problem that everybody wants to absolutely avoid at all costs because it's a direct problem for swimming is algae. I have algae in my pool. I have it everywhere. Customers see it. They notice it. They, you, you have to right. address it and it causes an issue. Right. So, okay. So I'm a guy, I'm a, I'm a new guy and you're a veteran. We both have algae on the route. Neither of us own the company. I'm incentivized to cover up my mistakes because I'm embarrassed. Okay. Right. I don't want to get the flack from you, the veteran or from the boss. I need to shock this pool. I'm losing control of this pool. I'm seeing algae. I'm brushing like crazy. I dump in algicides. I'm going to chlorinate. I'm going to add more chlorine. I'm going to super chlorinate the next week because it's just getting out of control. I'm going to try to remove phosphates if, I, if I'm aware of that and I do that. But I'm losing control of this pool. I'm incentivized to not tell anybody about my algae issue. Instead, I'm just going to throw the sink at it, trying to fix it. Now, you as a veteran in the company, if you have an algae problem, you are also incentivized to not let anyone know because that's even more embarrassing. Even though there's only two types of pool pros out there, as I say, those that have problem pools and those that don't admit they have problem pools. It's going to happen at some point if you don't decide to take factors out of the equation. But if I'm the business owner now, I have these two employees, Eric and Jared, varying levels of experience. And they're using chemicals, but I have nothing to compare to. So I don't know if they're using the right amount of chemicals or not. They're just using a lot, but I'm kind of used to it because they did that last year and, you know, whatever. They're using algicides, et cetera. Where is the consistency? How do I know that they're doing it right? I have nothing to compare it to. So nobody even shares what they're learning. Now, I want you to contrast that, listeners out there to a standard operating procedure in the company that creates a very different culture. What if the employees in your company all had the same exact or same approximate cyanuric acid level, calcium hardness level, and alkalinity level, with very few exceptions like automated covers and things like that. But let's just say across the board, everyone's got approximately the same calcium, the same CYA, and the same alkalinity. 
as a baseline. You're gonna, they're, they're all going to be using approximately the same amount of acid every week. At least they should be. You average out the size of the pools. They're all going to be using approximately the same amount of chlorine every week. Some exceptions, depends on bather load and things like that, but approximately the same. So if any one of the company's employees starts deviating from that, it should stand out very quickly. You say, wait a second. Uh, we started the season. We, we put in enzymes. We put in phosphate remover. We took out these things. We decided to remove these factors from the water. Why is Eric using algicide? How come nobody else in the company is using algicide? You know, it's a, it's July 4th or, or, you know, middle of the summer and only Eric's wanting to use algicide. What's up? Well, now as a company owner, you get to ask Eric what's going on. But imagine a culture where Eric doesn't even have to hide anything. He is incentivized to tell everybody else, like, guys, I'm having algae. Are you having algae? What's going on in your world right now? Because I'm facing algae. What do you suggest I do? And this leads to something that I like to call collective intelligence. Most people learn from their own experience or the person who trained them. Collective intelligence means since all of you have the same baseline, you're all in the same boat, you're all on the same team, and you're all rowing that boat in the right direction together. When any one of you has an issue, you are incentivized to share that issue so that all of you collectively learn from that mistake, even if it's not a mistake. You learn from that problem. So you're not just learning from your own misfortunes and your own successes and your own failures. Everybody's learning from them. Jared figured something out a few years ago in this example. Jared figured out how to prevent algae in this type of pool. He says, yeah, there's this type of tree there. So I, uh, I make sure that I ask the homeowner to prune the branches back and I bring a leaf blower and I get the leaves off the deck and, and I haven't had algae since. Now he can share that and all of us can learn from that. If we see that tree, we can do the same thing. But without a baseline, it's very hard to compare. A lot of times that happens, especially with tenure for employees that have been around for a while and harder pools. They kind of don't go hand in hand. If you've been cleaning pools and you're with the company for 10 years, you're probably mm -hmm. not necessarily cleaning the hardest pool in the company because you get moved around a lot, and, but you've had experience on right. pretty much all of the pools. And then a new guy comes along and he's training and he gets thrown into a scenario with a pool that's problematic that you already know of. So this is exactly to that point. Share information yeah. because somebody's already figured it out. And the second part of that is that incentivize your employees to bring problems to your attention because they may be trying to cover it up, which could last weeks of abusing chemicals and trying everything and Customers may or may not notice during this time frame, but eventually they will. And when you start calculating the cost of losing a customer, that is extremely expensive. And that is the last thing that we as a industry or as a service company want to do is lose a customer because it's, you know, annual revenue and reputation that is hurt at that point. So incentivize employees to bring problems in a timely manner so that they can be addressed. And it's all about being upfront with your homeowners. If there is a problem, hey, you, let me know. We will address it. Well, we talked about this in the last episode that it's all about, in terms of employee retention, it's about creating that team culture, that family atmosphere that we're not going to punish you for your failures. All of us have these failures. We need you to speak up so that we can learn from it. As I say, now, if you don't learn from the failures and they continue that's problematic but well of course always give the option for learning yeah so let's move on now here's a suggested way that you can implement a standard operating procedure in your business step number one get your cyanuric acid under control across the board this is harder for some companies than others because if jared if if a service company has been on the pills, so to speak. They've been on trichlor for years and years and years. This is a major habit change, but it's a necessary habit change because CYA controls your pool when it gets high enough. It affects your LSI. It affects chlorination. It affects disinfection. It's the number one cause of algae because it slows down chlorine's killing speed. That's the first question that we at Arenda ask if someone calls us about algae. What's your CYA? And people don't really know what it is. Start by getting that under control. Well, not just that. I agree with it. And the next part of it is I know we're going to have complaints about 
people that maintain pools in hot climates and sunny climates saying they have to have run C, they have to run CY levels at 80 parts or higher to keep chlorine in the pool. Um, what's your note on that one? Uh, temperature has nothing to do with sunlight zapping out chlorine from the water. That's not temperature related. We did a blog on this. What's happening is chlorine is getting used up faster uh, because the water's warmer and chlorine is activating faster. It's working better. So there's a difference between using chlorine and losing chlorine. So you don't actually need a lot of CYA to protect it. Now you can go higher on CYA intentionally to deliberately slow down your chlorine so it lasts throughout the week. But trichlor was never meant to be a primary chlorine. It was meant to be a supplemental chlorine. But you're making a trade. You're making a trade doing that. Oh, for sure. You're making a trade. You're deliberately slowing down chlorine, which allows for things to reproduce a little bit more because they're not getting killed off as fast, namely algae. So if you can slow down the growth rate of algae to compare, that's a good thing to do. That'll improve chlorine efficiency. The thing is, that's a calculated risk. So yes, you could... But by and large, based on the research that we've done, and we've done a lot of it, this information has been out there since the 70s on cyanuric acid. And we have found that if you stay 50 parts per million or less, you're doing great. You don't have to worry about all the signs. Just stay 50 or less. You know, 30 to 50 is a great sweet spot for residential pools. 30 or less on commercial pools is probably ideal. But everyone's got their own opinion. This is ours. You know, you don't have to believe it. But we've done... We just had to touch on it because I know it was going to... There's going to be Yeah, questions. I know. And, and the thing is just, it's a big habit change for some companies. There's a lot of companies that said, you know what? I've never really liked trichlor, especially when it's three times the price of what it once was or whatever it is now with inflation and the shortage. So switching to a liquid chlorine or even a Cal Hypo or something, uh, be aware, <laughs> the storage concerns of these, these no chlorine plays nice with one another. So if you're going to use two different types, you need to store them separately. You have to handle with care because mixing chlorines can be very, very, very dangerous, explosive, fire risk, all that stuff. But get your CYA under control. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. That's the first step. And the reason that's the first step, Jared, is because if you don't have CYA under control, you can't really do step two without wasting money. If you get CYA under control with dilution first, then you can go to step two. And what's step two? Establish a solid calcium hardness level. And we like saying this as create the floor, create the foundation and build from that. Because when you get your calcium levels up, I know everybody has a different opinion, but here at Arenda, we like saying, you know, 300 is a good average. Obviously you can go less than that in hotter climates and you can go a lot higher than that in colder, colder climates, but it's the not the only thing, but it's a chemistry parameter that we check for that does not fluctuate very much, much unless you have a leak or heavy rainfall or something like that. So it's a good foundation to build on and get your total alkalinity levels under control and manageable, not to where you're fighting them every week. Yeah. So what he means by that, um, calcium hardness is the more important of the two to start with because it is the floor, it is the foundation you build your LSI strategy on. LSI is telling us the saturation equilibrium of calcium carbonate. The amount of calcium carbonate though is your calcium hardness. So it's kind of like sugar in the water. How much sugar do I have in my water? That would be the amount, parts per million, let's say, versus how much of that sugar is dissolved in the water versus sitting on the floor, okay? so. Calcium hardness first, but here's why it's in the same step. You can lower your alkalinity if necessary at the same time. You cannot raise both at the same time because if you've ever mixed bicarb with calcium chloride, they do not play nice. So you have to separate those two by several hours at least, or certainly separate buckets, opposite ends of the pool at best, but usually a separate visit. But if you're going to reduce your alkalinity, while you're raising your calcium, you can absolutely do that at the same time. You can put acid in the bucket that's dissolving calcium and in one fell swoop, get your alkalinity to where it needs to be. Now, this is based on temperature. These, uh, these things, in a recent blog, we talked about a, a ratio between calcium and alkalinity. The minimum is usually three to one. It's, it, this is just a teaching lesson here, okay? This is not a literal thing that has to this, always be maintained. This is where the conversation of every pool is different comes into the equation. 
for sure, because it depends on your water temperature. It depends on your chlorine type and all that stuff. But generally speaking, you want to get your alkalinity in most parts of this country to be below 80 for the summer, not the winter. You need more in the winter because the water's cold. But in the summer, spring, summer, early fall, you do not want 80 alkalinity necessarily because what? That's on the lowest end of the range. I know I'm a heretic and my heresy knows no bounds when it comes to range chemistry, but the LSI reigns supreme. Yeah, people people just are, they're not floored, but they're just like, you mean I can maintain a 70 alkalinity and a 60? I said, yes, but you're going to need a higher calcium level to offset mm-hmm. it. That's what I was about to say. You are absolutely right. You cannot do this without a higher calcium. That's why calcium's first. Get your calcium level high enough to offset the reduction in the LSI when you lower your alkalinity. Now, the main complaint here is going to be, well, my pH is going to bounce. I need a higher total alkalinity to keep my pH from fluctuating so much. And I would say that's not true because alkalinity buffers against the reduction in pH, not the rise. In fact, the more alkalinity you have, it draws your pH up faster because it raises your pH ceiling. And due to the loss of CO2, as we've discussed ad nauseum in previous episodes about Henry's Law, the reason you want to lower alkalinity is not so you have less buffering capacity. The reason is because you reduce how high the pH can go, which allows you to contain pH and use a lot less acid and sodium bicarb. The amount of acid it takes to reduce your pH is directly proportional to how much alkalinity you have. So if you have 120 alkalinity and your dose to reduce your pH from 8.0 to 7.5 is X. You can do this on the app, everybody. Just raise your alkalinity to 100 and try to lower your pH and change the alkalinity down to 70 and it will dramatically change the amount of acid required. That, that's exactly right. So if I had 120 and my acid dose was X and I lower my alkalinity to 60, my acid dose is going to be exactly half of X. Think about that. It is directly proportional. So if I have a lower alkalinity on purpose, but I've replaced that with a much higher calcium hardness, I have LSI balance, but I've also limited how high my pH can go, and I've reduced dramatically how much acid I'm consuming. It is a wonderful strategy. It works very, very well, but it only works if you do not abuse acid. You have to measure this acid. You have to dilute this acid, and you need to pour it in correctly. Not incorrectly as in wrong. Pour it into the pool correctly. That's what I meant to say. So, Uh, embrace this process. We have the blog containing pH versus controlling it. Listen to the podcast. I don't remember what episode it was, but we talk about this and explain why it's so important to contain your pH instead of trying to control it. You're never going to control it. And moving on from this one, the last thing we need to touch is just plug it into the calculator and pay attention to your LSI before you decide, right, to do this. Oh, yeah. So we're deciding, everybody. Remember, we've already made the conclusion what decide means. So use the LSI calculator. If you decide to lower your alkalinity, you need to make sure you are balanced. And that takes all these factors into consideration. That's correct. It's always based on the LSI. Now, uh, just a, a pro tip, never reduce your alkalinity more than 20 parts per million at a time. Aim for more like 10 to 15, because if you do, you're going to tank your pH too fast. And every time you reduce alkalinity or pH, always dilute. The more dilution that you can give acid, the better. You do not want it to go down and etch the surface or fade that liner or attack that gel coat on the fiberglass and get pulled into the main drain. You mentioned that real quick. And that's the other thing is when you add acid, people say column pouring burns up alkalinity faster than just diluting and spreading. Fake news. Agreed. Everybody needs to know that the X amount of acid is going to remove X amount of alkalinity or reduce X amount of alkalinity, period, regardless of how you pour it. Yep, that's correct. Okay, now, step three. Now you need to write it down. And when I say write it down, this is documentation, and this is more Jared's area because he is an operations guy. I am not an operations guy. But this is writing down a clearly defined operating procedure that goes beyond chemistry. These are the parameters that you should have in chemistry. Yeah, that's great. I want to see written down processes. You will use a measuring cup and dilute your acid. 
Use a thermometer every time you test the water. These kind of things. Use a clean bucket to dilute and pre-dissolve chemicals. Those kind of processes. Those are, like we're talking about standard operating procedures that every technician needs to have and follow to a T. And just for everybody listening out there, if you own a maintenance company or repair company, there are great programs and software that can help you manage exactly this thing. You have checkboxes, you have pictures, you have things that automate this report and procedure. So um, I know, you know, pull service software, Skimmer, those are two that come to mind. Um, they automate and create these procedures. They don't create the procedure. They create the checklist and the things for technicians to follow so that everybody's on the same same standard, right? That's what this is all about. Right. So you could build it in there. That's great. You should have it written down. That's part of your training as a company. All good information. And we're going to come back to that software in just a moment. That was step three, was to document it. Write down and clearly define your expectations, which gets into how you are presented as a brand to the world. Okay, we'll touch on that in a second. Step four, after you have this all written out, is purge and remove contaminants. Okay, now this is our opinion here. Again, this is our podcast. We decide to get non-living organics and phosphates out of the equation. So at the beginning of the season, we purge. We do a deep herbal cleanse, so to speak. We clean out the pipes. We get the enzymes to clean all the crud, the tannins, the, the decaying organics. Of course, it's not going to replace physically getting leaves and stuff out of your pool. That obviously needs to happen. But if you start with a hard reset at the beginning of your season, once again, all your pools have the same baseline. This gives everybody a fresh start. So if something starts going awry on one of your pools or a few pools, and maybe it's only these few pools in this neighborhood, get out there and look at it. Put some eyes on those pools and figure out what's different about these few pools versus the other pools that I have that don't have these issues. You're going to identify things very quickly. But if you only purge some pools or none, you are basically starting completely different levels. You don't know where that pool was at the beginning of the year. So how can you possibly compare? It may be loaded with tannins because it has leaves and trees and all that stuff. And of course, it's going to have a higher chlorine demand. Whereas if you get all that crud out and everything starts fresh, it's going to be a lot less chlorine from the start and you're going to start your summer well. Anything to add to that, Jared? To the naysayers who, you know, aren't aren't sold on our opinions, right? Which there are some. What I I'm would one suggest, of them, man. I, I, yeah. I don't know. This whole stuff just seems I'm a weird skeptic to too, everybody. Let's just understand this. I'm a believe, believer, but then I'm going to verify, which is what I suggest all of you do. Yeah. Is beliefs, I mean, we're not lying here to you. Or, Trust, but verify. And, yeah. Yeah. Listen to us and then verify for yourself. If you don't think that this is something you really want to do, pick, pick five pools. Pick 10 pools. Try it. What's the worst that can happen? It worked. <laughs> Or it didn't work, and then you didn't do it. <laughs> Any of the companies listening to this that have spoken with us before, they know that we're not trying to get you to change everything in your business at the same time. That's ridiculous. Pick a few, put it in your world, find what works for you, and your risk is way lower because you might hate it. Because they did the same thing. They picked a handful of pools. They tested it. They didn't go all in and just because we said something. They picked it, and they saw results, and they said, this is what I'm going to do. Yep, exactly. So the results speak for themselves. It makes things easier. It makes things better. All right. The last step on this standard operating procedure is to track it. This is where documentation becomes even more important. This is where those softwares are incredibly valuable. This is where you identify when something is straying from the norm. Why is that one pool on Jared's route different from the other 120 in my company? What is going on there? Put eyes on it. Contact him. What's going on with that pool? Are you facing anything weird? Get out there and figure it out. It might be a leak. It might be a broken filter lateral. It might be a crushed DE grid. You don't know, but at least you're now going to be able to identify where the anomalies are. Track it so that you can compare and see the differences. The, the problems are going to jump out early before they become a crisis. Anything you want to add to that before we go into the benefits of this? And then we're going tracking, to wrap up this episode. Yep. Tracking is great. Um, but I'm a huge fan of spot visits 
just randomly by the pool, unannounced, going by, taking a look at it, looking at the water, checking the chemistry. And it's just, it's not that you don't trust people that they're doing their job. It's that you want to make sure that they, there's an accountability measure in place, right? I, I remember reading a business book a few years ago that talked about management by walk-by. Get into the culture of never telling people where you're going to show up. And people will just assume you could show up at any time and it, just walk by randomly. That's a great idea. Just just show up at pools and check them out for yourself. Yeah, it's called quality control checks. Just go by, make sure that the pool looks good. And if it doesn't, then you can bring it to a technician's you know, you know, mind before a customer does. Because that's the last person you want to know. Oh, yeah. And the homeowners listening to this understand that the company that's servicing your pool has a lot of other pools that they have to do, and they're only able to be there once a week for the most part. A lot can happen in a week. And because the variables change every week, bather loads can change, weather changes, trees drop different things in spring that they do in the summer and fall. So they're having a very difficult time, generally speaking, trying to keep up with your pool to begin with. So having a little bit of grace on that is important and understand that they're trying to do this on a grand scale on many different pools in your neighborhood or region. It is not the easiest thing in the world, which is why we're so strongly advocating for standardizing these things to at least take out the controllables. Control the controllables and everything else is going to be smaller and less significant. Okay, now let's get into the benefits. Uh, of doing this program. And these are things that you might not have thought of, but they're very, very real. First thing, your brand will benefit. Okay. Your brand is the manifestation of your company and how it is perceived in the world. Okay. A company that has a uniform brand appearance is going to have inherent advantages over those that do not. So it's about establishing expectations about who you are and what you deliver. If you've got nice uniforms, clean trucks, and the pools that you service look good each week, your reputation will build in a positive way. If you show up and leave cigarette butts in the homeowner's backyard, your truck is a disaster full of trash, and you leave trash in the backyard, and the pool's not great, needless to say, you're not going to get many referrals. But when you standardize things, you're going to have more room for profitability. That profitability is going to allow you to improve the brand. It's going to afford car washes and nicer uniforms. Invest in your people because Marked everyone trucks. wants to be... Pardon? Marked vehicles so people can see that you are in their, at their home and they know who's there and that the people driving yeah. by know who's there. Yeah, branding your vehicle. That's a great idea. Um, these kind of things matter. And they may seem silly, but the look of your brand has a lot of emotional decision power to it when people decide if they want to use you or not. The look of your truck, the look of your uniform, the behavior of your piece of your people, of your people, the behavior of your people matters. The okay? biggest compliment we can get as a service repair company is a referral. Cuz that referral is worth twice as much as an advertisement on whatever social media platform you want to do. You're going to pick up a referral twice as often as somebody oh, yeah. who's calling out of the blue. It's gratitude for a job well done. It proves that you did the service well enough to justify a referral. Okay, next thing. Personnel substitutions are easier. What happens when somebody gets really sick or, God forbid, quits? It happens. These things happen sometimes. Well, if everybody has the same baseline, Jared, you, the veteran, and me, the noob, are all on the same calcium hardness, the same approximate CYA, we're not using trichlor after week three or whatever, we're, we're just doing basically the same thing on the same average pools. If you get sick, I can fill in on your route because I already know where your calcium is. I know where your alkalinity should be and I can test it, make sure it's there. Sure enough, it is. My acid dose is going to be very similar and it's almost like they're my pools. And not that just is that. standardization. Not just that. Me, the veteran, can go treat you, the noob's pool, and not get frustrated because it's completely out of whack because that happens a lot. Well, yeah. When everyone's doing their own thing, God, they all maintain their pools so different. I, I was just talking to a company a couple weeks ago at a trade show. They're like, yeah, well, I mean, I like 250 on calcium, but he's he's always using 350. What What's right? And they were asking me, like, what's right? I'm like, well, both are wrong. 
because they're not the same. And you are treating pools in the same area, the whole company should be on the same thing. And if you're thinking about just a calcium hardness level, that's the flawed thinking right there. You really should be thinking about the LSI. But how you build that LSI strategy needs a good floor of calcium hardness and a good ceiling based on alkalinity. That's how you do it. You contain pH within that LSI house, so to speak. So yeah, personnel substitutions become much easier because everyone's doing the same stuff. You don't you don't need algicides if you follow our program. If you all decided at the beginning of the year to get your CYA, calcium, and alkalinity as close to the same as possible as a baseline, and then you decide to get rid of non-living organics and phosphates, what's left? I mean, you're going to notice when there's an anomaly. Maybe this pool over here has well water. Well, we got to address the metals in that. Okay. But by and large, every pool is going to be very, very similar. And you're going to be able to move people around as necessary, and it's going to be a lot easier to do that. Okay, uh, we've said this before. This is just the next one on the blog. Uh, problems will stand out sooner. They're going to stand out quick enough if you're paying attention. But if you don't have a standard operating procedure and you're not tracking it, and you don't have the baseline, you would never know. So the algae problem that we mentioned earlier, or, or a scale problem, or a plaster surface that is getting completely deteriorated because people aren't diluting acid, if the company culture is to try to hide these things and get ahead of them so nobody finds out, well, you're going to be spending money either way trying to address it, whether you're continually beating it down every week, or it gets into a crisis, and the next thing you know, you're getting a phone call that you do not want to receive. This is where you can start identifying where things are straying from the norm earlier. You say, wait, something's wrong with that pool. What's going on? Get eyes on it. Get ahead of it. Prevent it from being a massive problem. And it again, it's going to stand out. If, if everyone's using approximately the same number of gallons of acid a week and somebody starts using 30% more, mm, something's up. Okay. Foster that culture so that they are incentivized to speak up, that they're not punished for this, that they're incentivized to speak up so everybody learns from this. Which brings us to the next one, collective intelligence. I already brought this up. Team learning is huge. Five people have five times the weekly experience that one person does. They're, they're touching five times the pools. Chances are those five people, if they're talking and they're incentivized and and they're in a, a culture where they're sharing their experiences, they're going to see a lot more problems early on, and they're going to solve a lot more problems faster. Because one guy noticing something is going to trigger something in the other guy's mind and say, wait a second, I think that might be going on in, in Mrs. Johnson's pool. Let me no, let me double check that, and they can get ahead of it. But you know that's only if you have the culture where people are talking to each other. Which brings us to the last two. Jared, you want to take these over? Reduce employee turnover. And you're probably sitting there saying, well, how? How is this going to help me reduce employee turnover? Because when you give somebody the tools necessary to perform their job successfully, it gives them confidence. And they're not constantly fighting you know, problems that they may or may not know how to appropriately manage. And if you have a you know, standard operating procedure and a good team environment of collection, you know, on how to manage certain situations, it gives your employees confidence. And I'm not saying this is going to fix all of your problems because employee turnover happens, everybody, trust me. Uh, that's just part of the business, but you want to reduce the amount of employee turnover. Uh, and creating the right atmosphere and procedures definitely helps that. Um, and then the last thing here kind of is it gives you the better, um, not the better, but the ability to better forecast your usages. If you know you're going to use X amount of gallons of chlorine or X amount of gallons of acid in June, you can plan accordingly. You can talk to your distributors. You can talk to your retail stores and have them forecast better because if you all of a sudden have a run and you don't forecast properly and it's July and your distributor has a run as well, well, you're going to be stuck. So yep. plan accordingly get better procedures in place for you to do that so you don't get caught with not having the things you need. Um, and also you can, you can buy better, you know, you can, you can buy bigger and that's going to save money, which is going to go to the bottom line of any business is just being more efficient. Efficiency is key. That's kind of the gist of this whole episode is efficiency. 
efficiency in procedures, personnel, forecasting, management. Jared, you're absolutely right, because with better financial forecasting, you can start purchasing in bulk. You can buy bigger, buy better, buy at better prices, and you get out ahead of it. You know what you're going to be using approximately. And all of these things should help your business. Now, we've gone on for over 50 minutes. This is by far the longest episode we've had, but I feel like every minute of it has counted. And um, for those of you listening, thank you so much for for listening to this. I hope you find value in it. Uh, Jared and I are here. The email, if you have any direct questions about this episode or you have requests for us to expand on it in future episodes, is podcast at orendatech.com. You can also reach out to us directly through the app, website, Facebook. We're not hard to find. I am your apparently now co-host, oh, Eric Knight with Arenda. Jared me. is. Oh, okay. You you know what? Fine. You're the boss. You close out. Close Jeez. out, Jared. I was going to say, I'm your host, Jared. I'm happy y'all are with us today. Please follow up on the blog if you want more information and reach out to us anytime. We're happy to help out any way that we can. Obviously, the blog goes into a lot more details and has links and things that you know you can see and click through. Um, but if you have any specific questions, you know, reach out to us. We're happy to help any way that we can. And uh, this is episode fifty-five, apparently, according to my co-host from earlier today, on standardizing pool, you know, operations uh, and businesses. So again, thanks for having us uh, in your car, ear, wherever, however you're listening, uh, and we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Rule Your Pool, a podcast by Arenda Technologies. For more information on what we discussed in this week's episode, check the links in the description or visit www.orendatech.com. I hope you find this show valuable enough that you tap that subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can also like us on Facebook and social media. And with our help, you'll be able to rule your pool without over-treating it with chemicals and wasting money. I'll see you next episode.